Alexandra, welcome to the show. You are a senior MuleSoft developer, and we're going to get into all the greatness of MuleSoft and APIs in a few moments. But I want you to tell us, it looks like you've been passing your time in the pandemic by playing God of War. So I actually don't know anything about God of War. So what is it? (laughs) Yeah, it's a video game. Right now I'm playing it on PlayStation 4. And I think it's pretty interesting. It it talks about like Greek mythology, uh, mythology, sorry. And it it talks about gods and demigods and stuff like that. And you're basically this god of war that hate the other gods. And so you're just trying to to take them down. <laughs> and in God of War three, um, you got to do a pretty pretty good piece of history and then on god of war 4 you now have a kid and then you're trying to do more stuff with your kid and it's open world kind of and i think it's pretty interesting and there's just a lot to discover and to explore so is it like a fight is it like constantly battling and fighting or is it more like a a strategy game Like, like like what's the premise of it all um kind of like it has some puzzles. Uh, it's an open world, so you can just walk to mm-hmm. whatever you want. But it does have a history, like a, a story to follow. So um, you go to the first place, like in your home, and then something happens that you have to go to other place uh, okay. and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you have a lot of enemies, so you have to be constantly fighting with them. <laughs> All right. Now, do you play with someone or do you play against people? Is it like, you know, or is it just you against the machine, as they say? Uh, no, it's just you and you have your, your kid <laughs> so he can help you <laughs> fight with the other people. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it's just you with the machine. That's funny. I like it. Now they, they've given you a child to fight. That seems perfect. That's the perfect metaphor <laughs> yeah. of life. So, uh, I was gonna, I don't know. Have you, have you ever played Zelda? Have you finished that one? Is that like the super easy version of this kind of thing? Uh, I played, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. in Switch. Oh, it was amazing. I loved it. That is totally open world. Uh, so you can just do whatever you want, and it's great. <laughs> All right, so wait, maybe you can give me some Zelda tips. So, like, I, I have it, and I've, I've played for, I don't know, maybe like an hour. And I'm like, but I find myself just, like, walking around. I'm like, I'm not, like, trying to, like, fight <laughs> off the stuff. I'm like, am I missing it? Am I, like, not doing enough? Am I not being creative enough? Like, how do I – I find it kind of boring, but then I'm like, I think I'm not doing it right because everyone else says it's great. So am I – Am I just not creative enough to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing? Should I look for like online? Because I, I was trying not to look for any like details or instructions, right? For like, just like, hey, just figure it out. I don't know. What should I do? What, what advice can you give me? I would say um, if you're not having fun playing something, uh, you can either Google how to get out of there or just uh, switch to another game. <laughs> Video <laughs> games are to have fun. And if you're getting frustrated or... If you feel like you're not getting any progress, you can always just Google whatever you need to do and continue. I like it. I like it. That's kind of what I've done. Like sometimes because I like to play the Switch, I like to just zone out. So I just play Splatoon where I just like, you know, make everything a certain color. It's just very, it's like, I don't know. There's no thinking involved <laughs> in it. So, all right. So maybe that's it. I'm just going to get better at Splatoon. That's how I'm going to do it. So, um, well, fantastic. All right. Well, God of War. Sounds like everyone should check that out. I'll, if I ever finish Zelda, I'm going to crank up God of War and give it a shot. Uh, all right. Well, uh, listen, um, I think you have a super interesting background and, you know, I, I don't think we have that many people on the show, uh, that have, you know, maybe lived in Mexico. So 
as I you know kind of saw here in, in doing some research, so it looks like you're originally from Monterey, Mexico, if that's correct. And I was I was just interested in like what's it like to grow up in Monterey, and how did you get interested in tech? When did that happen for you? Yeah, I yeah I grew up in Monterey, and it, it's a beautiful city. It's protected by mountains all around, so everywhere you are, you're gonna see mountains everywhere, and it has just a beautiful scenery. It's uh, also a big industrialized city, so um, actually almost the same size as Toronto. As Toronto. Um, it's a place with just a lot of movement. <laughs> it's always awake, so you always have somewhere to go. You can go for tacos in the midnight, mm-hmm. and they're going to be there. <laughs> um, and, well, also, Montreal is one of the cities in Mexico that exports the most technology to the world. So, yeah, it's pretty... Pretty amazing to live there. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. What is the best kind of taco? Because here it's offered to find talk. A lot of us, uh, at least some of the other um, co-hosts, we're all spent a lot of time in Texas. So we're very fond of Tex-Mex and breakfast tacos. But if you were to say, if we were ordering a taco in Monterey, what would be the, the quintessential Monterey taco that we should order? Oh, my favorites. <laughs> they, they're, they're called panchos. <laughs> Um, I, I always go to to Monterey right now and then I immediately go and order some panchos, but they are only in the morning. Uh, they're only available in the morning. So you have to either order them, uh, like from Uber Eats or something and mm-hmm. keep them there or you can just, uh, well, wait to the next day. <laughs> so is it like a breakfast taco? Is it like egg? Like, so in Texas it would be like egg and bacon is sort of like the starting point for all breakfast tacos. What is, uh. Is it poncho? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, kind of breakfast, yeah, uh-huh. but not not really. Like um, more for lunch, I more would say. More for lunch? Okay. All right. All right. So when we're in Monterey, poncho tacos. I like it. I'm in. I'm ordering <laughs> them. Oh, so then where um, – so you went to high school and college there. Is that correct? Yeah. And then where – like how did you get into tech? Like what was your entryway into it? So when I was a kid, I really, really, really liked the movie Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I can just watch it over and over again without getting tired of it. I Obviously, I love dinosaurs, but I, I loved that movie because there was this girl that she preferred to be called a hacker. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, it's uh, Lex Murphy, the, uh, John Hammond's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, granddaughter, sorry. Yep. I, I remember that she was like trying to fix the computer or whatever, uh, getting into the Unix system. And Mm -hmm. she like got all the doors and the phones and everything. And I just thought like, oh oh my God, that's so cool that you can control everything with the computer. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. That was like the climax of the movie, as I remember, right? Like it's like they're battling the monsters and she's like at the keyboard or not the monsters, the dinosaurs and the, yeah, I think they even had, they actually showed, did they actually show some actual Unix commands? Isn't that the story behind that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, it was pretty graphic. I don't mm-hmm. know which Unix system it was. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it looked so cool that she was able to do that. And then I started looking at other series like Criminal Minds that they also have this hacker lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started thinking that that was so awesome. And then when I got my first computer i didn't have internet but i started uh taking a look at paint or microsoft 
Word, Excel, PowerPoint, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> that does. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what's the first like programming language that you, you actually try to build some simple program in? I think HTML. <laughs> I was trying to make a web website. Make a website. Yep, that's a good. That's a good entry point. Everyone, everyone had to build their own website. That's like a rite of passage, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you go. You went to college in Mexico. Is that right? What? How do you say the university? I can't remember. Oh, it's uh -huh. in Spanish. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, Universidad Regiomontana. Okay, and you got your what? What did you get? Your bachelor's of science in there in computer science. Like, how did? What, what were you doing there? It's an engineering in software development. Okay. And then it looks like this was really interesting to me too. So it looks like somehow you went from Monterey to Germany. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And so what, what's the story there? How did you get all the way from Monterey and then go to school in Germany? Yeah. So in my university in Monterey, um, they had these flyers around the, the university that you had a chance to go to Germany. Um, for for engineering careers specifically, um, and I just thought, oh, that that looks awesome. Like I've never gone to Germany. I have no idea what's like to be there, but it sounds interesting. Maybe I can try that. And so I started seeing what are the things that they require, and they required a level of German, a basic level of German. Uh -huh. So I just started studying German and I got to be in the program. So I got there and I had one semester studying and one semester working in an internship position. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty neat move. <laughs> wow. So do you actually like, what level of German do you speak? Are you like conversational in it? Was it, were you able to get around well and everything? Oh, I could <laughs> when I was there, um, but right now I, it's been like five years that I haven't spoken it, so I, I don't remember much. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I don't know. That's a pretty amazing uh, uh, story, I think, from uh, Monterey to Germany. And then it looks like from there uh, is your first job you know, out of, out of college. Did you get a job at Accenture? Is that right? Uh, first in another consultancy and then in Accenture, mm -hmm. yeah. And what did you do at Accenture? Uh, what did I, what, sorry? What did you do at Accenture? Oh, I was first, I was a Java developer and then I got into MuleSoft. Okay. So like, did you just kind of hire in the typical Accenture way like go and do the typical interviews and then become a consultant? <laughs> yeah, basically. And did you put, did you, is it like, like here in the U.S., um, you're basically put on a plane like right away and you fly around and spend all your time at client sites. Is that the same uh, for you or did you do something different? Um, not really. Well, with my clients, I was mainly working from the office in Montreal, or some of them were able to give you work from home. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was also cool. But yeah, it was mostly there. Sometimes I, I did get to go to other places to visit the clients' offices and stuff, but it was mostly in Montreal. Okay. And then so what kind of uh, Java development did you start out doing? Uh, one of the projects that I worked on was kind of doing like an API, a REST API. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, we had different teams with different services and I was on the email part. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And yeah. so, so is this the, is this like your entry point into like learning about APIs and kind of getting into MuleSoft? Yeah. Yeah. Before that I was just doing desktop applications, um, or maybe some websites there, but 
it, I had I had never seen anything about APIs until this point, and yeah, it was it was a game changer. <laughs> I I was pretty amazed on how APIs worked and how you can connect everything. Yeah, so I guess um, maybe kind of give us you know for those that don't know, it sounds like you kind of transitioned from kind of just being you know kind of a Java developer to a MuleSoft developer. So for all of us, like. How would you describe what MuleSoft is to somebody that is maybe not not aware of it today? I think it gives you a pretty easy way to start developing APIs. And you can start designing, you can start implementing and testing. And if you just take the, the trainings, I think you will be able to do that in like a month or so. Um, obviously, you you can learn more about architecture or design patterns or stuff like that. But just to get started on creating your own APIs, I think you you need like one week or one month to get started. And it's not that hard as opposed to with the other program programming languages that can take months to learn. Yeah. So like maybe walk us through like when you're building an API with MuleSoft, uh, how is it different than, say, doing it by hand? With MuleSoft, you have almost all the products that you need to create everything for your API. So first you need to design your API and MuleSoft gives you uh, like an, an any point exchange, it's called uh, the, the product that you can use. You can also use a design center and you can use RAML or open AI, uh, open API um, to get the, the first contract of your, of your API. Then after you design it, you can start trying to test if the design works. So there's this thing called the mocking service. You can just turn it on and you can start checking if your calls are going to be user friendly. So if you're, what you're calling and what you're receiving makes sense from the design part. And if they do, you can just move ahead to the implementation and start doing all the coding, all the logic. And if when you're done, you can start testing your application and everything is in a visual way. So up to this point, if you have a pretty easy API with which doesn't have like complex code, you can just do everything visually. You don't have to touch code at all. Um, and then you can just test it in your local and send it to also any point platform where you can use the runtime manager and upload all your APIs there and have them in the cloud. <laughs> nice. It's all that easy. So it sounds like the real benefit, right, is, is the ability to kind of, you know, do everything from a visual designer rather than having to sit down and, you know, maybe like write like, like swagger and actually sit down and write out all the, the API you know, documentation by hand. Is that kind of one of the biggest benefits? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so when, um, when you're designing an API and you're using something like MuleSoft, like, um, you, cause you talked about like, you know, kind of designing it out and testing it out, uh, before you even maybe start, you know, utilizing, uh, MuleSoft, like what's the information that you want to know, uh, before you actually even sit down and start designing it? Like, how do you come up with the requirements for the API? Oh, well, it depends if you're doing an API for yourself or if you're working with a client, <laughs> if you're working with a client, well, you have to ask what are the requirements that they need? What what are the things that they want to accomplish? And basically, you, you just need like a user story that 
your client is going to drive you through whatever they need to do in their process. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of take the requirements and try to understand where the resources that you need to create and where the like the actions that each resource need, needs to do. So what, when you're talking to clients, um, are they good at giving those requirements or do you have to like really kind of pull it out of them or how does that work? Uh, <laughs> it depends, I guess. Uh, they do know what they want, but you, you are responsible to ask the appropriate questions that need to be asked in order to understand exactly what they need. So what do you find? Do you find like, uh, clients today and customers today, like they're, are they very familiar with APIs and it's easy for them to understand? Or do you have to sit down and explain to them a lot of times? Well, we'll build an API and this is what it is. And this is what I'm looking for. How does that work? Yeah, I think it really, it really depends. Uh, some of them already have the idea of what they want because maybe they already have some legacy, uh, products that they use. So they just want to to up their game and do exactly the same, but with a new technology. Or maybe they just, they're blank, like they don't have anything and they're trying to build something new. So they come and they tell us what they want to do, but they don't know how to do it. So we, we help them realize what is it that they want and how to get there and how is it gonna be easier or more maintainable for them. So when you're, when you're talking to them and you're talking about APIs, like what do you think, are there any like go-to questions that you use that kind of, if you will, elicit really good responses when you're, when you're trying to get someone to kind of, you know, give you the, the information that you need to design an API? I don't think there's like a guide <laughs> that you can follow. I really think that it, it depends on each client. Uh, they, they each have their own dependencies or their own systems and everything that you need to connect really, really depends on their industry, what they want to do, what they need to do. Um, and it's it's mainly just check with each of them because each, each of them, it's it's way, way different. Mm -hmm. And what about like, do you spend any time talking to kind of the business owners? Do they um, do they know APIs? Do you think business owners should even care about APIs? I think they should care. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think most of the product owners that I have talked to, they do know what's going on with the APIs and they know uh, some of the technical part of things. Um, maybe project managers are a bit uh, harder to understand on the technical parts, but they do understand how the business works and why APIs are important. Okay, good. And so what's, um, today I always think about, you know, one of the hardest things uh, about APIs or can be is like authentication and security and things like that. Um, so how do you approach that? How does, how does MuleSoft help, help us with uh, that part of the API process? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It, they also have some products for that. You can create, uh, like your API policies or any security schemas that you want to have. And you can, you can, for example, apply it to several APIs or just to one API. And this, the, everything from security and scalability, and it, I think it's very well managed with MuleSoft. They do have specific products for each of them. And all of that, you can, you can find it in the same uh, suite or website. 
which is a point platform. In Apple Platform, you can find like the designer, the exchange, the marketing service, all of this. And it's it's very easy to use. And if you don't really know how to do something, you can always ask in the Mule forums. And the community is eager to, to um, help you out and help you understand how everything works. So I think it's it's pretty neat that they do help you a lot and you have everything that you need there. Mm-hmm. Well, I know with you know APIs today, the things I see, so there's the RESTful APIs and there's like GraphQL and there's other things. So when I'm building an API with MuleSoft, do I kind of have to pick what kind of API that I want to build and like kind of what the interface will be or does it will it generate this for me? Like how does that part of it work? I would say it depends on the architect. <laughs> um, I personally prefer to work with RESTful APIs, uh, but I have also seen some of the GraphQL ones. Um, I don't really see much of a difference in functionality. It's just that you call them differently. Mm-hmm. So why why do you prefer RESTful? Is it just because the, you like to that convention of, of interfacing it, or is there some other benefits to it? Yeah, I just like the convention. I like uh, the... REST standards and everything. And I've also been working with them a lot of times. So I think I feel pretty comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's easy to stay with what you know. Um, and so when you're deploying the API, I think scalability is the other big part. So is that again, something in part of the MuleSoft platform? Does it just take care of that? If I need to scale up my APIs and scale up my endpoints, um, does MuleSoft make it easy to do that? And if so, how? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's basically a button. You can just go and say, I need more workers. I need less workers. Uh, I need more CPUs. And you can just set everything that you need and apply your changes. And that's it. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Now, if I'm using MuleSoft, am I always going to be using their hosted AnyPoint platform? Or can I deploy it to my favorite cloud provider? Um, What are my deployment options? Yeah, you can choose that too. Um, You can do everything in their cloud which is Cloud Hub. Or if you're using, for example, AWS, uh, you can also use your own servers and everything. Or if you have your on-prem servers, um, we can also connect to that. Everything really works with, with MuleSoft. They have this runtime fabric product that can help you get started with AWS and I think it was Azure. Um, so it's just a script that you have to run and you can have everything set up and ready. Nice, nice. So it uh, sounds like pretty easy to get going. So when, because um, you've probably been through this and you've built out a bunch of APIs at this point, what are like what are maybe your the most common mistakes that you see people make? Is there something that, you know, it's either like an obvious technical thing or it's an obvious requirements question that isn't asked? Like what are the common mistakes that people should try to avoid when they're building APIs? I think the most common ones are following the best practices or following standards in, in your in your projects. Um, I don't know, from something very simple like naming a variable, you can have standards for that. And I, I, I have found that in code, if you don't really have that much coding standards, it can be kind of hard to understand as opposed to if you have everything standardized with proper namings and everything, um, 
it, it just gets easier and to use and it gets user friendly because you you would already know what a connector does. You wouldn't even have to click on it because on with the name or with the description, you would be able to know what it does. Um, stuff like that. I think that's what people sometimes forget that can really make your life easier. Yeah, definitely. And what about like versioning APIs? Is that something that you've had to do a lot of? Yeah, yeah. That's also another best practice that people should follow. Um, I think that following the the um, API versioning standard is something that you should have for your APIs. I've seen a lot of products that don't really care about the versioning because they they kind of know which version there is, so they just don't move the version at all and just trust that we already know which version is there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I think... Uh... I see that as often a common mistake is like people designing an API with the idea that they've never thought about versioning. <laughs> then uh, eventually they have to change something and it's like, oh, wait a minute, we got to go back and like add versioning, which is, a, I don't know, it's never a good, it's never a good situation when you find yourself <laughs> there. Um, well, what do you, what's a API that, you know, maybe that's publicly accessible? Maybe it's an API that you've designed. Are there any APIs that you use daily that you think are just really well done that, you know, people could always look for just examples or things that they could, you know, get familiar with out there on the web somewhere. I think the Twitter API and the Slack API are, are very good APIs. Um, the Slack API is not restful, but it's still pretty good. And I think that you can experiment with that because they are, they are free and publicly accessible and you can create a Slack workspace whenever you want and you don't have to pay for that. So you can start doing like sending messages or creating a robot or stuff like that. And that's pretty fun to do. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. What uh, I was going to say, like what, what makes the Slack API stand out? Is it just ease of use or is there something else that you like about it? Um, it can be that I, I have just been using it a lot and I think it's pretty fun because you can, you can create uh, graphical forms or stuff like that. And for example, if you send a command in Slack, it can open up a form to ask for inputs and then change the form based on your inputs or stuff like that. And they uh, Slack has this graphical builder that you can use. So you can create uh, by drag and dropping, you can create your form. You just have to copy the JSON code into your application. Yeah, no, no, it's nice. I actually think um, I played with it a little bit, but just on the command line, that's what I like is you can kind of just, you know, if you will, play around with Slack. I mean, I guess technically not like making the API calls, but I'll just do them on the command line, which is it's surprisingly easy and surprisingly powerful to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, so if, um, if someone's out there and they want to learn how to, you know, build APIs, so obviously they can go to MuleSoft for sure, but what else? Are there any other resources out there that you think are really helpful that, you know, if people just getting into designing APIs and using APIs for the first time that they should consult? I think, I really think MuleSoft is one of the, one of the best uh, services that you can use to start designing your API. It's very, very easy to use and they have a graphical um, user interface that you can use to to start inputting like your, your data that you want to to process in the input or the output. 
and you don't you don't have to create the RAM all by yourself. You can just use their graphical user interface, and that's very easy to use. Okay, all right. Well, so everyone should go check out MuleSoft. Build your build some APIs. Give it a give it a try. Sounds pretty easy. Um, but the other thing um, I wanted to talk to you about was uh, ProsDev. It looks like this is something that you know. Did you? I guess maybe start off with some simple like, what is ProsDev, and why did you create it? Yeah, um, I I want to show people that they can learn technology. It it it's really not that hard. <laughs> um, and I, I feel that if I can help someone to learn faster what I already know, they can learn more things and they can help each other learn. <laughs> so it's like an exponential learning community tool, if you want to see it that way. Um, because it's, it's nonsense that if I take... I don't know, five days to figure something out that was pretty easy. I just didn't have the documentation for it. And then why would I make someone else take five days to do that if I can just tell them how to do it? And then they can take those five days to do something else and then they can teach me what they did. Um, I don't know. That's the idea behind it. Okay. And so what, like for those that have never been there, so is it a website? Like what exactly is it? How do you, if you will, share your knowledge? Yeah, it's a website. Um, we have blog posts and we also create some videos or images uh, that can help you learn more things every day. And some of them, you don't even have to do them. You can just go and read about new information that's going to help you eventually. <laughs> right. And so is it like, can anyone contribute to it? Do you apply to be a contributor? Like, how does that work? Yeah, everyone can contribute if you're in technology and you know something that maybe it's not in a lot of posts or maybe you just have a different perspective to it. You can just create uh, some content for us. Um, maybe just go into the website and go into the contributors part and you can request to create a, a, a con to, to create content for us. And that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> And so what kind of um, content do you think performs the best? Like what kinds of things are people most interested in learning about that maybe aren't easily accessible in other places? I think that videos, I think people are looking for more videos and there are not that many with good quality or maybe explaining what they really want to learn. And I think stuff like that is necessary or maybe articles that summarize some learning journey or summarize how to do something instead of having to read tons of documentation to figure out how to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like what's your, uh, what kinds of uh, content have you created for the site? I've created articles and videos. Yeah. And is it all on APIs or is there other things that you like to talk about? No, I think I talk on random stuff sometimes. I have an article for using IDEs, um, maybe for the new developers out there. Um, I create about APIs, about MuleSoft. Um, I'm going to start creating content about creating content. <laughs> yeah, so that's always like an interesting question is, um, you know, what is it like when you approach creating content today, like um you kind of mentioned it before, but is, is, do you think videos are the best? Like if I'm going to, Hey, sit down and create some content, like, should I go towards a video? Should I write a blog post? Should I do both? Like how do you, what do you, advice do you give people looking to create new content out on the web? 
I think it depends on the person. I prefer to create articles because I think I just take one or two hours to to write something. But maybe to create a video, it takes more time because you may want to edit the video or um, record over and over again because something went wrong. Or I think videos for me are a bit harder, but maybe for some other people, they are easier to do. Yeah, no, I think it is maybe just the, the best lesson is like create create what you want, right? Create what you want to watch or, or, or read is probably the best idea there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so are, is it a site though? Is the goal, like what's your vision? Are you, is it just a community site to help share information? Are you trying to make money with it one day? Is it a site to just, you know, build your online reputation? Like what, what's your vision for it? Um, no, it's just a community site. I'm not trying to make money from it. I, I really just want people to have a space to, to learn or to create their own content without feeling like they have to be experts on, on something. Like maybe you just figured out how to how to use, um, I don't know, Internet of Things to change your 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 colors <laughs> in of the lights in your house. And maybe you want to create a blog post about that because you didn't find any blog posts online. I don't know, stuff like that. And you don't have to be a super expert in, in that technology to create a very small article, a two minute article, for example. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Do you feel like it's uh, intimidating? Do you think a lot of some people are intimidated today to create content? Is that one of the reasons you created the site? Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of bright people that they just don't want to create anything because they feel like they're not ready to do it. And I think it's it's pretty scary when I started as well. It, it was pretty, pretty scary because I just didn't know, like, how, how am I supposed to write? Um, am I going to use first person, third person? How is it going to work? And I just... I just did it. I just started writing. That's the best advice that I can give you. <laughs> so what made you... Um make the leap, right? Cause it sounds like you, you were a little bit intimidated, but then you kind of, you just said there, like you just did it, but what, like, how did you go from like, how did you make that jump? how did you go from, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do it to like, not only are you doing it now, but you've created an entire site uh, around trying to get more people to do it. Like what was the, the mental leap you went through? Um, I, I, it had never crossed my mind until I think someone in a point of my life told me like, Hey, it would be nice if you created an article of something. And I, I, it, it didn't even, I, it hadn't even crossed my mind before. I had never thought about it until someone mentioned it. And then I started wondering like, okay, what if I want to do it? How, how do I do it? And then I just started writing about technologies that I liked and well, trying to bring my point of view on those technologies on why did I like them or how can you get started using them and people started to like it. So I just continued writing. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you've kind of hit on a, some interesting things there. I think one, you know, uh, even if you don't think so, it's very likely you bring it, you know, you being anyone out there has some unique point of view on something. And then two, right. It's, it's all about passion. Like, like, you know, there's often like, if you spend a lot of time, uh, learning something and, and figuring it out. It, it can be very obscure, but if you have an interesting point of view about it and it's something that people haven't done it, you know, to me, that's the kind of content that does the best, right? Like when clearly someone has some passion about it and a unique point of view. So that's what I always tell people. It's like, 
don't worry about everything else. If you have that, then maybe the article is not perfect or maybe the edit, editing of the video is not perfect or the podcast is not perfect, but um, that won't matter, right? Because the content will show through. So I don't know. I find that in my life that that seems to work really well. So hopefully your community creators are having the same experience. Yeah, I think so. Um, some of them were, were new to writing and we just started doing something like anything and we started doing the editions or suggestions on new stuff. And I think they're pretty excited to do it now. So that makes me happy. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's fantastic. All right. Well, as we kind of get ready to uh, to kind of wrap up here, I guess a couple questions. Like one, uh, if I want to uh, become a contributor to ProsDev here, what do I do? Where should I go? You can just go to prosdev.com. And if you go to the team part, you will see down at the bottom that there's a button saying to contribute. Please go to ProsDev Academy in LinkedIn. You can just go join that group and I will be posting there some suggestions or tips for you to create better content. And as well, you can just contact me and I will help you get started on creating anything that you want. <laughs> okay. And I think it's, it's safe to say no experience necessary. Anybody who wants to create content is welcome to, to reach out. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. You can be front-end, back-end, databases, business analyst. You can be project manager. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, If you have some perspective on technology that you want to share with anyone, you can just come to me and tell me, hey, I want to do this, but I don't know how. And I can just help you get started. All right. So we should, you know, we'll maybe leave that as a challenge to the listeners. Have at least a few people reach out. Maybe someone that has been a listener to the show or a listener and read a lot of content for, for different things, but has never created something. So maybe one of them will reach out as a, and we can say it worked, right? That has never created something and decides to write something. So hopefully, hopefully you get a, at least a couple of requests for that. That would be uh, fantastic to see the software defined audience. Uh, step up and, and reach out to you. Um, well, also too, I just wanted to uh, make sure where else can people find you on the web if they want to uh, talk to you about APIs or talk about other things? Is there a good place for them to, to reach reach out to you? Uh, yes, there is a page. So in prosdev.com slash Alexandra Martinez, like that, um, you can see there my full profile and you can see the links to my other social media like LinkedIn or Twitter. And you can reach out to me in both of those ways. All right, fantastic. And we'll make sure to put a link uh, to all of those uh, sites in the show notes, make it real easy for everyone to reach out to you. All right, well, Alexandra, I wanted to, first of all, thanks a lot for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It was a good experience, a new experience for me. <laughs> so it was pretty fun. All right, well, great. Well, listen, for everyone else, if this is the first time you've ever uh, listened to Software Defined Talk, well, welcome. And I want to let you know that you can subscribe to uh, the Software Defined Talk podcast by going to www.softwaredefinedtalk.com. Uh, there you can join our Slack. You know, hey, we even play around with the API with Slack a little bit, so you can do that. You can also find us on uh, social media. And if you want a Software Defined Talk sticker, here's what you got to do. Just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.